If you feel like you're not living your most authentic life, not leaning into your purpose and not living the life that your future self would be extremely proud of, I've written a new book called The Greatness Mindset. And I think you're gonna love this. Through powerful stories, science-backed strategies and step-by-step guidance, The Greatness Mindset will help you overcome all the different challenges in your life to design the life of your dreams and then turn it into your reality. Make sure to click the link in the description to get your copy today. That you could die tomorrow is a common thing that I would hear a lot of people say. Of like, mm. I'd rather just live now than mm. my perspective is that you can always live tomorrow too. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off, off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off take your business further with the smart and flexible american express business gold card it's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases that's the powerful backing of american express learn more at americanexpress.com business gold card is there such a thing as a traveler not a delta because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. What would you say are the three habits that you started to develop early on when you didn't have a lot of money into becoming a millionaire? Could you think back on three specific habits that supported you from going from fifty dollars to $100,000 a year to breaking into the first million? Yeah, I would say uh, definitely consistency. Um, I was relentless in just keeping the same habits over and over and over again. Um, I would then say it was the focus of just, I had one goal in mind of just like, I'm going to do this one thing and do it really, really, really well. That's all I wanted to do. Uh, and I would also say um, saving money. I mean, I've mm. lived really, really, really frugally. You obsessed uh, about that. Probably. Too frugal. T- I was too frugal. <laughs> you were like um, every penny. Yeah. I can't go out and have an extra sushi. I can all, you know. Oh, not even. Like, I wouldn't even do the sushi. Um, it was probably unhealthy. I mean, looking mm. back, like, I, I can't have regrets about it, but, I mean, it got to a point mm-hmm. where I remember, uh, I was talking about this yesterday, I was calculating the cost of gas to go and visit a friend, and <laughs> I determined, it's, it's how bad it is, though, like, the cost of gas was not worth the time I would be able to spend with his friend. And, like, I did the, the, the analysis on that, and thinking, well, if I'm only going to see you for two hours, and it's going to cost me X amount of, like, 
that's stupid. Like I should not be looking at it like that, mm-hmm. but that's how I was in the beginning. Where did that come from? Is that like a, a childhood learned behavior? Did you model that from somewhere where you just, like why did you feel like you needed to be so obsessive about every penny and decisions of like driving to see a friend? Is it worth the money? Like when? Yeah, um, a lot of it I thought of like how much I would be making or the cost of like my time and, and then extrapolating mm-hmm. from there like what my time is worth doing certain activities. Um, there was also another point, I must have been like 15 years old, maybe 16 age, like just got my driver's license. And I remembered like how far $20 could get you. Right. And I was like, okay, if I have $20 and that's like, that's my budget and that's what I'm spending, I could put $10 in the gas tank. I could mm-hmm. you know, spend $5 on a Subway footlong sandwich. And that's like two meals, so $2.50 per meal. And then I have another $5 left over for like miscellaneous. Like I remember breaking it down to that degree. Mm-hmm. And then just from there, you know, taking that to, well, here's what a dollar could buy and right. just like appreciating that. Um, but then also going through, uh, there was a time briefly, I think I, I think the job was like six weeks. I worked at this uh, gold precious metals bullion investment firm. I did data entry because I mm. thought I wanted to like be an investment banker. I'm like, this is a great way to get experience. It wasn't. But I think I was, I think I must've been paid like $7 and 75 cents an hour. Like it was maybe eight bucks, like max. And this was back in early 2008. Um, and I remember thinking, okay, like if I'm making like $8 an hour, is a Subway sandwich worth 40 minutes of that? Like, mm-hmm. No. Like, and then how could I stretch that further? So I just thought everything in terms of like going back to making like eight bucks an hour. Wow. Did your parents teach you lessons about money early on? Did you have money mentors? No. What were the things, what were the beliefs you had early on around money? Like what did you think when you thought of money, when money came in, did you think I need to save it? Did you think money was good, money was bad? Uh, You know, what were your beliefs about it? Yeah, I never thought money was bad. I, I had always been obsessed with, I guess, like saving and collecting. Like even as a kid, uh, I think it was my grandpa showed me like his coin collection, mm-hmm. and I thought it was so cool. And he's and he showed me a picture of like a 1909 SVDB penny. It's like these pennies are out there still. They like X amount that are probably still in circulation. And like every like, and I was like maybe six years old, and I'd just be checking pennies. Really? Like every penny would be like, is this a 1909 SVDB? I'm like I never found one, but uh, I've just been obsessed with I think just saving, collecting. Like I even if I got like birthday money or Christmas mm-hmm. money, like. I would save it. I wouldn't spend it. And I, I liked just to see that accumulate in like an envelope in my room. Or like a piggy bank old. or something, yeah. Yeah, it would be like a hundred bucks or something like sure. that. Like the whole year's worth of like saving and collecting. I just naturally, I think, gravitated towards that. What was the, I mean, did anyone teach you about money though? Did you ever like? Uh, no, not really. My mom had a book and I think it was like the millionaire mindset. Secrets of the millionaire mind? Maybe, um, I don't, I, something about the millionaire mindset uh-huh. or maybe it was the millionaire next door. Yeah. And I must've been like 10, 11, 12 years old. And for so, like, I just saw the book that's a millionaire on the side of it. I'm like, I'm going to read this book. And I, I was not a reader at all. Like I was not reading books, but for some reason I just read that book and I enjoyed it. And it's just like, all these things made sense. Like, Oh, the average millionaire drives a, a Ford F-150 mm-hmm. and you know it's more common to drive a Toyota Corolla than it is a Ferrari and most millionaires don't make a million dollars a year they're, they're making an average income and they save for 30 years mm-hmm. and so all of those things like I just had an interest in that what was the year you made your first million 
dollars or we're talking yeah, about net like worth? Like in sales, like the, that, that came in, what was the year that happened? Do you remember the year? Uh, yeah, that would have been 2019. And that was a combination of uh, real estate sales mm -hmm. and then YouTube adding on top of that. Right. And the year before, where was it at? Like, was it half as much? Was it close to that? Was it? Uh, the year before, I think I made $250,000 from YouTube. And then I think hundred grand from real estate. So about 750 grand the year before. Yeah. Okay. Probably about that. What do you think was the difference between what you did or how you thought? from 2018 to 2019? I would say uh, I had never, for me it was really YouTube, uh, mm -hmm. but that really started 2017 for me because I never thought that I'd make money on YouTube at right. all. Like I started making videos just because it's like, it seemed like the fun thing to do. Mm -hmm. And even I remember making a dollar a day on YouTube through ad revenue and just thinking, wow, this is like a free sushi dinner that I could, because I was going <laughs> to do YouTube anyway. So right. it's like the fact that it's making $30 a month, it's like that's sushi once a, week, uh, once a month for free. Mm -hmm. And I remember it being like $100 a month. I'd be like, wow, that's my cell phone bill. And then $300 a month. That's my car insurance and gas. Like, that's mm -hmm. so cool. And it just, I guess seeing that I could make money without having to be like actively involved, even though like I became very involved. But with real estate, I was in sales. Mm -hmm. And so the bulk of my income at that time was really like, I got to be there. I got to show houses. If I don't sell a house, I don't get paid. I could work an entire year and earn nothing, and a lot of my commission is dependent on my ability mm -hmm. to get listings, meet clients, be there for those clients, and I would drop anything for them at any time. If there's a client who wanted to see a house Friday at 10 p.m., I would cancel any, I'd, just, I'd be there, because that's what I had to do. But seeing on YouTube that I could work around my own schedule, post videos, and like every video, I was like, wow, if, this, if every video I make just makes an average of a dollar a day, I get a thousand videos, and that's thousand dollars a day and I could I could be anywhere in the world and so something like that was very freeing to me that I knew that I could scale it a way that I couldn't do as a real estate mm -hmm. agent even the best agents I've seen like we're talking about like the top few in the country yeah. are making two to six million dollars a year wow. and they have like huge teams and they've been in the business for 20 years and I started seeing people on YouTube be like they're doing this in you know a few months and right. scaling to that point the reach that I was able to get on YouTube and the benefits that I saw of just like being able to network and meet other people. I could meet a thousand people by making one video in the time it would take me like years in real estate to like one meet on one, a thousand yeah. people one-on-one. -on -one. And that really changed my mind uh, in terms of just seeing what was possible. So 2018, if I remember what you said, about a half a million came in from real estate. Is that right? Roughly? Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, on top of that, though, you have like broker splits and like, sure, you know, sure, miscellaneous sure. things. Sure, in terms like, of like sales coming oh, in. Yeah, you got right. expenses and everything, obviously. Yeah. But that's like, how many homes is that for half a million dollars in commissions? It wasn't much. Um, well, in LA, I guess. Yeah. yeah is that like I would five, say, ten homes? What is that? Probably about that. Uh, I would say in, in a year, I would have maybe 20. And I'm... I, it's, like years, this is like five years or six years. I don't, I don't know how many years ago this was. Um, I would say on average, I probably had about 25 transactions a year. A lot of those would be high-end leases and of those Rental, sales. Rentals. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then sales would be, I don't know, five to 10. Mm -hmm. But some, usually it would be like, I'd have a whole bunch of one and a half to $3 million homes. And then I'd have like one a year that was like 5 million or like mm. 8 million. Um, and it's that big. would boost the bar a lot.
Mm-hmm. Or sometimes I'd, I'd get really good lease commissions. Uh, there would be some properties for lease that would make more commission than the sales just because, let's say, it's $30,000 a month and I'm representing both sides and we get like an 8% commission on top of that for a two-year lease. That's pretty big. And it's like, monthly. You get a commission monthly? Or I know, I get whole one check. Sometimes they'll say, well, uh-huh. you know, we'll pay you for the first year and then we'll pay, right. which is fine. Right. But um, now a lot of them would just pay up front. That's amazing. What would you say the top three physical investments that you've made that have paid the best dividends over the last five to 10 years? Probably a good, good computer, a faster. I was like on this little mini MacBook for a while that would like pause for minutes and I didn't want to spend money. I finally got like a, a new MacBook at the time and like mm-hmm. it helped my video processing like a ton. Like that has probably been one of the best investments. Probably a good camera for YouTube videos. Uh-huh. Uh, besides that, though, I would say real estate has been mm-hmm. has been a fantastic one. That's always been like the core of everything I do. Is like that's the foundation. Is like good real estate, rental properties, and that's like the the foundation I guess to fall back on. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. How much real estate do you have now? It is. I lose track of it. I think it's six properties total. Uh, one f- is my primary in Vegas. Mm-hmm. But then six, uh, five rental properties. Yep. And then the rest is mostly index funds uh, at the moment, or? Yeah, index funds and cash. I pretty much almost got a 30-30-30 split between real estate, cash, index funds. Really? When did you feel like you were able to break through mentally and emotionally of, you see these bigger homes, you see individuals who have made it essentially in a certain way financially. When did you start to realize, hey, maybe I could break through this financial level as well and get to a certain level? Was that when you were 18 getting started or was it more in your mid-20s? I'd say immediate. Like just, really? Yeah, immediately just like seeing and being around these people. I just felt like I could do that too. At 18, 19. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, even though I didn't achieve that immediately, it's just, I guess it was a feeling like I felt like I, I dressed the part too. Like I'd see how they dress mm-hmm. and I'd go to H&M and like try to replicate their style for sure. like 50 bucks. Um and so just doing that, a, a big change for me too came when I sold my first house and I do what I tell everyone not to do. I spent pretty much all of it on a car. And I think my commission, like after everything, was like 50 grand, something like that. Like after I 50 split. 50 grand? Yeah. Like after it's all the splits and everything. Your first yeah. house? Yeah, first house. That's huge. Yeah, $3.6 million. How old were you? Uh, I had just turned 19 or I was just That's turning 19 That's a massive at the time. commission. Yeah, it was. Um, and that buyer I met doing an open house. I had done an open house every single Sunday for nine months and then just a buyer happened to walk in. We had a great conversation. He was a doctor and straight up just gave me a chance. Like that was one of those things where he's like, I remember when I was 18 and someone gave me a chance and I wanted to do the same for you. That's cool. Uh, I want you to help us find a house. And I did. And like, I owe so much to him. Um, but I spent all that money buying a Lotus Elise and, uh, you know, the car I think was like 30 grand plus like taxes and stuff like that. And then you also have to pay tax on the commission. So um, I was left over like nothing afterwards. But that car, I started taking it every weekend to these car meets like early in the morning, like early Sunday, wake up at like 6 a.m., go to a car meet and I meet like car friends there, like people mm. driving like Ferraris on Lambos. And here I got in for the cost of a new Honda Accord. Um and so, like, being around those people, like, getting into those groups, and I loved it. It was just, like, nice. fun. Like, I'd take the car and go to car meets, and then right afterwards, I'd go into an open house. I'd park <laughs> the car out in front, and, like, people comment, and, like, just, it helped. So, what sounds like you said, what you tell people not to do is actually a great investment. 
In hindsight, yeah. Right. It was I'm a sure bad investment, but it was a yeah. great investment. Could have gone the other way too. Uh -huh. I think had I been reckless with it or maybe not used it, like if I was like, oh, I'm going to go pick up chicks in the car now, sure, like sure. not worked. Uh, but I just used it as like a, a passion and a networking tool at the same time. Mm. What's the best invisible asset that you've invested in for yourself? Oh, man. I... That continues to pay dividends today. What do you mean invisible asset? Like not a, not a physical thing, but more of a, a, a skill set, a learning, something you've developed, uh, a relationship that you've invested in, something invisible that is not a, a tangible oh thing i would say in. just like i would say just great people and mentors around me if mm -hmm. uh like jason oppenheim I, I say this all the time has been like one of the best parts of like just learning i guess not how to be more assertive but like being able to convey what you want and being able to um basically give a, give a direction in a way that people will understand. And seeing mm -hmm. him operate on such a high level, yeah. um, just watching him, like I just go into the office and just listen to him speak and see how he negotiates. And like those sort of connections and just being able to learn from those people has been invaluable. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Yeah. What's your plan with this year, with the recession potentially going to happen? You're talking a lot about this on your channel. What's your plan to do with the cash? What do you what do you plan to do with it over the next six to twelve months? If know, everything yeah. crashes, yeah. If real estate crashes, if the stock market crashes, um, what will you do? Yeah. Well, I'm buying in. I'm dollar cost averaging into the index funds every mm -hmm. day. So every day the market's open, I just it's a habit of mine to wake up every morning and just buy the same dollar amount every single day. How much so, is that every month? Every day? Uh, five grand. Five grand a day. Yeah. Just right in there. Just index always funds. index funds. It's just like my morning routine is just like. Index wow. funds. Uh, anything above that, obviously taxes, like, <laughs> can take that into consideration, uh, goes into the cash pile. Mm. And I, in a perfect world, I want a really good commercial property that's triple net, mm -hmm. ideally in Las Vegas. Um, but I believe we have a ways to go on that because right now I have that money parked in treasuries and it's earning about 4.4%, maybe 45 4.3%. bad. Yeah. And I just keep rolling it over. That's not bad. So if I'm making 4.4%, but I'm looking at commercial properties making 45 to 5 I, I don't see the risk premium there mm -hmm. yet. So I think if I could find something at 7 7.5%, to me that gives enough of a buffer where like if the market continues going down, I've locked that in. Um, but I've yet to see those deals come up yet. So I'm looking, I look every day, and I think it'll get to a point where I could start making offers. But... Some of the properties that come up, they're great, but I don't want to be like their first week on the market. Here's an offer for 30% less. It's like, I'm not going to shoot myself in the foot. It's offensive right. to them. Not, but if it's been listed for six months, four months, whatever, then I'd consider making an offer. Yeah. I know you get asked this question yeah. a lot, but if someone had between 20000 in cash or 100000 in cash, um, and I know you're not a financial advisor, what would you be suggesting as options for them to do to invest it as opposed to holding on to it? in the bank and they wanted to invest it yeah. somewhere, what would you suggest? Between really, twenty and hundred thousand dollars of extra cash laying around that they want to invest in somewhere to make an interest. The biggest thing that's made a difference for me is house hacking. Um, one of the best things that I've done is uh, like buy the duplex. I moved in one side, I rented mm -hmm. out the other. I think a lot of people now not every area has a duplex that you could go and buy. 
But I found that if you could reduce your housing, because housing makes up 25 to 35% of your income, mm. it's just a third of it is gone just for a place to live. But if you could find a way to reduce that by using that down payment, mm. leveraging that for you know, a duplex or a triplex or anything where you could rent out the other units, ideally it'll cover your overhead. But even if it covers half, like to be able to save mm. an extra 20% of your income by building up equity in a property that you could rent out, I think that's tremendous. But you also have to be okay with being a landlord, uh, putting in the time to like managing a property. Yeah. Uh, Fixing or, stuff, everything. Yeah, yeah, and you also have to be careful about what you buy, that it's a good deal. It's like, just because it's a duplex doesn't mean you should, it's worth buying. So if you're willing to put in the work, I think that could probably yield the highest results. Yeah. What's your thoughts about owning a home in general? I know there's different real estate experts that talk about, you know, only rent where you live and own yeah. the thing that you rent out so it brings you in passive income. What's your thoughts? You own your home. Yeah. You live there. Um, do you think people should buy a home or should they rent and use their down payment as an investment to bring in cash somewhere yeah. else? I think it really depends on the area. Um, places like Los Angeles generally are cheaper to rent. The difference becomes if you plan to live in the house for like 15, 20 years and you know it's a place that you're going to be raising a family or for the peace of mind of being able to like not worry about rent increases. But like Los Angeles is an area, it's kind of instance, a bubble, yeah. Yeah, where renting is so much cheaper. The majority of the city is rent control. Your rent's going up usually 3 to 5% a year at the very most. Um, just it's cheaper. 13.9%. I'll say that again, 13.9% back in your pocket because plenty of my listeners already signed up for Masterworks and they delivered a 13.9% net return just last month. Masterworks three last sales returned 13, 17, and 21% net all in the last three months. Masterworks deals in fine art, not NFTs or crypto, but the same stuff you see in museums from legends like Picasso. It sounds unusual as an investment, but Morgan Stanley says fine art experiences are far less volatility, even as most stocks have fallen this year. No wonder Masterworks has over 600,000 users and paintings that have sold out in minutes. But don't worry, they have a mobile app with app-only offerings, and I can get you priority access. Just download the Masterworks app and tell them I sent you. Again, download Masterworks app and tell them the School of Greatness sent you. See important disclosures at masterworks.com slash c one of my favorite parts about my job is that i get the opportunity to travel a lot and in fact i'm recording this right now while i'm in mexico and actually i was thinking about something that i wanted to share because i get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas so here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like i am or traveling a lot when you're staying in your airbnb on your trips have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through airbnb while your home is vacant if you're interested in an extra stream of income airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host when you want the best you have to act quickly 
or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game, or when you're hiring for your business and you wanna find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. And I've learned the hard way that constantly holding on to your emotions and repeatedly choosing to not talk about your feelings will only make you feel worse and worse. And up until about 10 or 11 years ago, I was afraid to talk about my trauma that I experienced. And I know we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. But therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lewis today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-E-W-I-S-D. You'll just save more money. Like, I mean, it's more expensive right here than it is anywhere in the country. Yeah, really. true, true. <laughs> a lot of other yeah. places. It's cheaper to rent yeah. versus owning here. Correct. It's so expensive to own. I would but. say generally, if you plan to live in the house for mm -hmm. seven to ten years, it's usually cheaper to own. But you have to factor in also, you know, your closing costs, Property commissions, taxes. maintenance. Uh, now in LA, there's a, there was a whole like mansion tax coming out. Did you see this in oh, April? Yeah, I saw that. Trying in to... April, five percent. If you sell a did home, that, I don't think that passed, did it? I I'm hope pretty it sure passed. in April, if your house is over five no, million, I don't, I don't think that passed. Charging, I think it did. It passed. I have not kept up. I'm I glad think well, you're in Vegas now. Of, I think yeah. it did. So it's like if you had a five million dollar home, five percent on the mansion tax, on top of I the, think it's the stupid. It's crazy, I mean, right? it's, it, my issue with California is that their solution to everything is tax. Let's not fix everything that's broken here. We just need more money. But they make so much money to begin with. I where know. does it go? Right, who knows? Where does it go? So their thing is just let's tax the rich people. Let's drive everyone out of state. Mm -hmm. But then let's tax the people who stayed even more. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. I think, you know, California is such an amazing state with it's so incredible. much to offer. Why did, why it did you incredible. Why did you move? You grew up here. Yeah. You you know, grew up in Cali and LA. Why go to Vegas? when the weather is perfect here 90% of the time, you've got the ocean, you've got the mountains, you've got industries here, why move away? I think the quality of life deteriorated to a point where mm. it was better somewhere else and I never thought I would leave. But what really kept me here was doing real estate. And like up until 2020, I was going to the office every single day to the Oppenheim Group and I would do real estate on the side. Like I was like 85% YouTube at that point. Mm -hmm. But if a client came around like, I was, and they were looking for a $4 million house. Like, I'm going to help them yeah. find a house. Anyone else, I had, you know, a cool little referral business within the office of like, I'll give that to so-and-so and I'll give that to this. 
and it worked really well. And I'd be involved in the phone like throughout the process, but they would do a lot of the stuff and it worked really well. But when COVID happened and I was just like home making videos, I realized how much I loved just like being able to make videos and like mm -hmm. do that. I just had so much fun doing that. Then I realized you don't have to be in Los Angeles right. to do that. Um, just checked out Vegas, realized how nice it is in some of these areas of like Henderson and yeah, Summer. Like, nice. Really liked it. I'm inside anyway. Like you're talking about like going to the beach and the mountains. Like, you don't do that. How many people in LA really go to the beach? No <laughs> one goes to the beach. Like sure you go to the mountains but every now and then. Uh -huh. I'm inside anyway. Mm -hmm. So like might as well save on property tax, might yeah. as well save on all these things. Like the the quality of life there were like it was so much better. Uh, the house was way less expensive. Way bigger. Twice the square footage. I was able to have a larger office. My office um, in Vegas was like four times the size mm -hmm. of my office in LA. I was able to also have a podcast studio uh -huh. in my house. At the time, Jack was living with me. He had a bedroom there. So like, I would say half the house was an office. And that was like an entirely separate part of everything. Like, you know, walking, you have the kitchen, everything. And then this left side was office. It was like Jack's room. He was editing. He was doing the podcast. Yeah. The podcast like it was perfect setup. But then also it's like you had no potholes in the road. There's no traffic. Everyone is really friendly. It's a really great community. I know all the neighbors. And like in Los Angeles, you might know the people on either side of you. And that's it. Mm -hmm. It was so like closed off. Vegas was like very friendly it's and been nice. Perfect for you. Yeah. Yeah. So immediately I knew like this is the right choice. Right. And I, I would say every now and then I do miss. Uh, the weather, the weather here is obviously better. Yeah. But I don't mind the heat. Yeah. Um, You're inside all the time, anyway. Yeah. So. I would say the biggest difference, though, I like the people here. I feel like here you get a wide range of people, perspectives, mm -hmm. ideas. Um, it's like this this melting pot of different cultures that you don't get as much in Vegas, and I miss this sort of like free spirit entrepreneur. Mm. There's something different here than you get in Vegas. And sometimes I feel in Vegas, you get in your own little world and just like just doing one thing. And then I come back here and like get to meet and see other people who are doing like much bigger things. And it's inspirational to me to see. Maybe so, you're moving back out in the next year or two, huh? No. <laughs> just <laughs> but, come out more. But I could come back for work. Yeah. Um, and I could, you know, come back here for a few days yeah. and then jet right back home. That's cool. I'm happy with that. That's good, man. I'm curious about what is the psychology that happens for you when money comes into your bank account. When you get a check, which I don't know if you get checks anymore, but when no. money enters the bank account and you get paid on the 20th or 21st yeah, on sure. YouTube money every month or whatever it is, sponsors come in. When it enters and you see it come through, is there an emotional connection you have to that dollar amount? Yeah. Or is it neutral? Is it is it, no. is it exciting? Is it fun? Is it scary? What is the feelings that you have? So immediately, because it's really hard to separate what I have in my bank account versus what I'll have left over after tax. Uh -huh. So whatever money is in there, I just mentally will do. And I, I you know, do quarterly taxes, uh -huh. but like every, anything that comes in, I just multiply that by 0.6. Mm -hmm. And I just assume 40% is going to be gone for taxes, accounting, miscellaneous fees, just random stuff. Just average 0.6%. Um, and then I take what's left over of that and then I multiply that uh, by 4%. And that to me is how much that money will last for the rest of my life. And so I do that with everything. So for every $100 I get, I have 60 cents left. Or sorry, 60 cents. For every $100 I have, $60 left, 0.4. I think that works out to be like uh, 
$2.80 or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. it works out to be. That's my passive income. And like, that's, I'll never go below that. And so that's what I, I invest everything. I mean, my, like my actual personal expenses and cost of living is very low. Like everything I do is either for the business discretionary personal is like almost nothing. Right. So it's just like everything gets invested for the most part that's left over from that. And, uh, and yeah, how do you? How does it? How does it feel though? When you're analyzing this, you see the dollar amount come in. You multiply. You do all these things. Does it excite you? Do you feel abundant? Do you feel like, okay, everything's on the right track? Do you feel scarce ever? I'm. I'm sure. I'm sure. I definitely. Everyone tells me I've got like a scarcity mindset because I'm so much like when I get something, I don't want to lose it. Mm. But I've also been very conservative in terms of like uh, building wealth, saving money, uh, in terms of like investment returns, like everything. I'm like for. If I just can average four percent, like I'm fine, or even three, usually three percent. But um, no, for me, I just think, like I've always increased my like lifestyle based on really the three percent rule of like I could spend three percent of what I have invested every single year, uh, regardless of how much it makes. Three percent. What can I buy with that? And then even of that, I'm like, okay, well, I still want to save half. So it's like really the one and a half percent rule. Um, but it gives me something to look forward to that I know it's sustainable. Like whatever I want to do, as long as I stick with that, I, I can get new experiences. I can work my way up to something else in a way that I don't have to worry about it running out and um, it feels safer that way. Yeah. Because at least what I've seen from real estate, so many people just like blow all of their money. I remember this one person uh, who was well known and was making five to $10 million a year and they were having difficulty qualifying for a house, making five to ten million dollars a year because they spent it all. Um, now their view, I'm sure, was I'm just going to keep making money. Like it's not you never know, an issue. Yeah. And they've gone on to have a successful career, make a lot of money. But for me, I could never be at a point where like I'm spending that much. I'm like that's the threshold. Like you have to because you never want to go down. I think but. it's really hard to scale back. It's very easy to scale up. So I've mm. always made sure to like be very careful of. Once you get used to something, like it's hard to go down, and it's very easy to go up, and you don't want to set the bar too high, like sure. just in case. So I've always been like really cautious yeah. about like what I do, and just knowing that, you know, lifestyle inflation is a thing, mm-hmm. and how could I curb that in such a way that is sustainable, but still gives me something to look forward to. How often do you make emotional purchases? Almost never. <laughs> I don't so, think there's any purchase that I make that's emotional. The, really? No. I mean, the, the only thing that I bought without money in mind was my aquarium. That was the yeah. only thing that it's I did cool not... Looking. Yeah, I didn't look at the price tag. I don't care about how much it costs, and I'm not getting any return on my money. That was the only thing. But I built that into like what I have invested. I'm like, okay, if I have X amount invested, that'll pay for the aquarium. And X amount invested in addition to that will pay for all the maintenance, all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I just like factored it in that and worked towards that being a goal. What were the three biggest lessons that doing real estate sales taught you about life and business in general? Yeah, I would say uh, not giving up mm-hmm. because with, with sales, it's like you, you, you have to stay on it and, and learning how to differentiate between, like read people, I guess is a big mm-hmm. one because I got fooled so often. Like as a young agent, you don't realize how many fakes there are out there. Like people who will just waste your time and pretend to be buyers. I had this dude. And I was so naive. And looking back, I was an idiot. He walked into the open house and told me that he was in the market for like 25 to 
$50 million homes. The guy wasn't like, you know, representing himself in such a way where he could afford these houses. Mm -hmm. And nor would a guy of that caliber realistically trust an 18 year old kid who's like brand new to show, show him, like, him 20, yeah. <laughs> yeah, show me 50. Like chances are they have business managers. They, mm -hmm. they don't even show up to the houses first. They have assistants do it first and then they have people vet it and then they show up and they're very discreet. This guy was very flashy about like, oh yeah, I did this and my company does that. Like they're talking about, it. I had no idea. Um, so I'm sitting there showing him houses and every agent is looking at me like, is this guy pre-qualified, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh yeah, he's good. I'm just an idiot. <laughs> and I remember one agent, uh, I I would consider her like, a, like a, not a mentor, but she really took me under her wing. And she had a listing and she's like, bring him to my listing and I'll feel him out for you. And she was there anyway. And so he came there and she started asking him questions about like his proof of funds. He literally goes into his car in his trunk and pulls out papers and hands it to her. And she's like, this is a proof of funds. It was like a Word document the guy just printed out wow. saying like X amount company blank, this, this. And afterwards she's sort of like, this guy is fake. He's not real. He's not a real buyer. Um, and then... But you'd already spent 20 listings, showing him 20 listings or something at that yeah, time. Yeah, but then you also ruin your name in the process of like mm. any time you bring a buyer by, these agents remember that. They know, oh, this is Graham. He's the kid who brought by this like really bad buyer. He wasted my time. I spent an hour setting up this house and like their time is valuable. My time, I got nothing to lose. Um, and this guy, meanwhile, was just, I think he was just dreaming yeah. and he was using it as inspiration and he would spend hours at the house was like laying back oh my gosh so i was an idiot oh man okay so learning but, learning to read people uh never giving up being consistent yeah but you can't but you can't never give up unless you know how to read the right person <laughs> correct right? know what their really intentions yeah. are what's another big lesson you think you learned from real estate i loved it i don't know there was something about it where i just felt i could do this 24 7 and it never felt like work mm. it's just like what i enjoyed doing like i got so excited every yeah. day to wake up um like, you know the feeling sometimes where you had just like a really good day and you can't go to sleep? Um, or like, so I don't know. excited, yeah. Yeah, or like maybe like a Christmas morning where you can't wait to wake up. Like, you know, you're going to Disneyland or something like that. That's how I felt going into work. Mm. I just enjoy it. Like I, I would wake up early and like be excited every day to be able to go and do real estate and like yeah. learn and be around these houses. Because for me, it was so foreign to like walk into a $5 million house, get to be around people who could afford that. And like everyone I saw, I was like, what can I learn from this person? I just found it really inspiring. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it really opened up my mind mm. uh, in terms of like what's possible. And so I really believe that like having access to Los Angeles just gave me that world view of like, it, it's insane the possibilities that are out there. Yes. And just believing that, hey, if, if these guys could do it, why can't I? And you'd see that they're nothing special. It's just, they've got good at a skill and mm -hmm. you, you don't need to be like this superhuman person. I'm curious about your thoughts on money and relationships. Yeah. How has lived, how has been living uh, an extreme frugal financial lifestyle supported or hurt you in intimate relationship with your girlfriend? I don't think it's ever hurt. It's never hurt. I don't think it's ever hurt. Um, even like just dating in general, I think there are, there are cheaper ways to do everything. Uh -huh. um, and people that know me in general, like they kind of would know what they're getting into. Right, right. Uh, they're so, not expecting you to do something. Yeah, yet. it shouldn't be a surprise. But like, I would say a lot of the things that you would do, like in real estate, they're they're either free or they're very mm -hmm. inexpensive. Like, I think it's more important to spend quality time with the other person versus like, hey, we're gonna go to like this fancy restaurant. I think there's a time and a place for that for sure. But I think at least for the first like the dating period, it doesn't have to be expensive right. at all. Um, 
And with Macy, it's been it's been really nice because she's I don't want to say she's as frugal as I. She's okay with spending money on certain things if she feels like the value's there. Versus I'm always like the cost, like, oh, but the value might not be there for this. We could get 80% of it. You know, um, I want to say with her, I've definitely loosened up because I could afford it. But a lot of the things still, it's like uh, she enjoys contributing. I appreciate that. I think some of our trips, it's like, you know, she's got credit card points. Mm. She's like, I opened up these credit cards. I got the sign up. I was like, it's, like it, it's a free trip. You know, uh, so a lot of things like this, they don't have to cost money. But I will say I have loosened up. Really? With Macy, uh, just in the sense that I don't fret over like a $60 dinner anymore. Like mm. five years ago, I was in that $50 <laughs> dinner, $60, and be like, well, we could do that for cheaper over here. Uh, I'm going to eat a little bit at home and I'm going to go there, get oh one. My like, gosh. bad. It's really bad. Do you wish you would have changed that? If you could go back, would you have done it differently? Have more balance? Or I, are you... Probably not. I All mean, right. I'm sure there are things going back where I'm like, yeah, I should have done that. It was stupid. Like, one time, I know I'm going to get hate for this, but there was a car meet and I had budgeted it. And again, like it's it different if you're making like 20 grand a year. I was uh-huh. probably making 100 grand a year. And I had budgeted that day only for gas. I didn't have enough for the food. And they're all driving through Malibu and they're going to like this, this fancy place for lunch. I got a subway instead. And, uh, you know, I sat down at the table and I asked this sort of really nicely because it was like a row of like 20 people. Like, can I eat my Subway here? Oh, my God. <laughs> and they were totally cool with it. And I figured the tip that I'd leave them is way less than what I would have spent on this meal mm-hmm. that I didn't need. I wanted a Subway. I didn't want to spend $50 on sure, sure. So I just left the tip instead. There you go. And I ate my Subway. They were totally fine with it. I forget what. It was a restaurant in Malibu. Uh-huh. There, was, but there were 20 people at the table. I don't know yeah, how big yeah. the bill would be. But, um, you know, anyway... Like, that's the stuff that I, you know, in hindsight, it was cringy to do. Um, oh, the other thing I would do all the time is uh, uh, if I w- were out with friends and there's extra food and they weren't taking it home, I would be the one being like, You would take it home. Everything. Box it up. Everything. But that's I would good, get a man. whole meal out of that. That's great. Yeah. A whole meal. I need I to take more f- stuff home. Yeah. That's, that's what I need to do. Oh, yeah. Nothing would, wasteful. Nothing would ever go to waste. That's Even would we go out with the Oppenheim group, it was usually the six of us. Oh, they had out. lots of good food then. And Jason was the type, order everything. And then you'd say, you got a meal likes, for a week. Yeah, but because he likes to be like, I'm going to have a few bites of uh-huh. this, a few bites of that, a few bites of this. And then there'd be like half a meal there. And he would he would just say, oh, I'm going to get it. No, I'm going to take it all home. And that, like, I'd put it in the fridge and I'd live off that for mm. days. Mm. So Wise. that's that's a lot. Like, when I made one of my how much I spend in a week videos, I think my, like, grocery bill is like a hundred and something dollars a month for food. I don't know how you But now a that, lot man. of that was subsidized <laughs> by, like, eating really good food but taking it all home uh-huh. and then divvying it up throughout. Like, it's like a meal prep, but, like, it's food that would have gone to waste. Yeah, yeah. So. I'm curious. What do you think of the, the biggest money myths that keep a lot of people broke oh um money myths that keep people broke um i don't know i always feel like um the that you could die tomorrow is a common thing that i would hear a lot of people say like Mm. i'd rather just live now than Mm. my perspective is that you can always live tomorrow too like your chances of living tomorrow knock on this much higher than passing away yeah so i think plan for tomorrow is a probably better approach statistically Mm -hmm. i feel like you can live just as easily like 
in your 30s and early 40s as you can in your 20s. I'm sure the experiences in your 20s are different. Um, looking back, I, I still feel like mentally, I feel like 23 to 25. I don't yeah. think I've grown up since then mentally. I still feel the same age, uh, except I need more sleep now. But I feel like now, like I've, I've, I've done so much saving throughout my 20s that now mm-hmm. I can finally like loosen up a to a certain bit. extent. Buy an extra piece of sushi. <laughs> <laughs> it's one piece. <laughs> yeah, I still I, and I still look at prices. Like we went out to sushi the other day. I saw a twenty eight dollar roll and a fifteen dollar roll. I'm like, the fifteen I get two of those versus one of those. Yeah, I'd rather the two, so mm-hmm. I got the two. So if you had to go back um, and just imagine your eighteen year old self, how old are you now? Thirty two. Thirty two. So imagine fourteen years ago. And imagine that you, in a hypothetical world, you had to become a millionaire in half the time. So you had to hit your first million in, in revenue and sales coming in in half the time from 18 to that time, right? As opposed to when you were, I don't know how old you were. I was 26. 26. So you yeah. had to do it at 22, 23, right? Let's just say hypothetical scenario, you had to. Mm-hmm. What would you have done differently in order to get there? Or would it even be possible? So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is all already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It would have uh, it would have been YouTube really? for me. Yeah, because every day after real estate, I wouldn't watch TV, watch YouTube. Like that was my version of TV. This was like 2008. And um, early YouTube. Very early YouTube. But that was like, I was would come home and just watch YouTube videos. Wow. Like that was what I enjoyed doing. And I noticed back then that there was no business or entrepreneur content on there. And what really solidified it for me was Rob Dom, he's a, a car channel, posted a video about how he was able to buy a Lamborghini Diablo, a 2001. And he made a video in his garage, like way before like the Ty Lopez stuff, mm-hmm. like way before. But he made a really inspirational video about how what he did for a living to afford a Lamborghini Diablo. And was so honest about it. And there was a guy before him. His name was Robert uh, Himmler or Himmler. I don't know his name. Uh, I can't remember his last name, how it's pronounced. Um, He drove a green Lamborghini 
and was selling a, uh, a program or a course or something about like how to get rich or something like that. There was some speculation that it was yeah. like family money or something like that, but he, I believe, owned like a car customization shop or something like that. Uh, so Rob Dom made this video basically saying, I'm going to just tell you what I know for free. I have nothing to sell you. And this is my story. And he posted, I was so inspired by that. Wow. That for me is like, I want to do that. And what really hit it off for me was that I sent him a message on Instagram. Like I, and he maybe only had a few thousand subscribers at the time. Or sorry, not Instagram, Facebook. I sent him a message. And I'm like, hey, I love your content. And I could pull it up here if you want to see it. Mm. But my original message back then was like, there's a huge market on YouTube for this type of content. If you double down on this, it could be huge. Really? Yeah. I bet I, could, I bet I could pull it up so now. You, so this was a video he put on YouTube. Yeah. But you matched him on Facebook. He was just doing a couple videos. He wasn't doing it consistently. Correct. Hey, Rob. Message from a fan and fellow car enthusiast. I've been watching your videos from before you had 10,000 subscribers and love your videos. I'm so happy how far you've come. You'll be hitting 100,000 subscribers shortly. You've definitely been a great inspiration. I have two questions for you if you have the time. And then I asked, like, what camera mics you use. Sure. And then uh, what did you find give your biggest break? Was it uploading content regularly? Was it car videos? Was it inspirational? And then I said, uh, just a comment. I believe you could have a great career in motivational speaking in business. There's a big market for young people who don't relate to Tony Robbins and who have never heard of Napoleon Hill before. Just mm. food for thought. This would be a big opportunity. Um, and then he responded back. He gave his answers and said, I want to be a motivational speaker without actually being a motivational speaker. Ha ha. Um, and then I said, you know, I think you could take these videos very far in that direction. But that was more than 10 wow. years ago. But I wanted to do that, but I didn't have the courage to do it. Why didn't you have the courage? I didn't have a Lambo. I know how stupid it sounds, but I felt like who would listen to me? Mm. Like, what did I have to have? Like Rob had a business and a Lamborghini. He was credible. And, yeah. What did I have? Um, you know, looking back, it's stupid because I could have. Like I felt... I needed either a million dollars, a Lamborghini, like something, a show of success, because back then that's what you had to do on YouTube. It was mm -hmm. like Lamborghinis just got clicks. And, you know, me starting my career in real estate with, you know, 150 grand in savings or like it was still a lot. Like looking back, I could have said like how to make 100 grand by like 20 and something. Um, I didn't have the courage. I felt like I would embarrass myself. And I, But had I started back then, I would have been so early. Mm. And it was just a feeling like I, I wanted to do that, but I just didn't I put it off for years. So this is something that I'm really excited you're talking about this because I think a lot of people don't have the courage to do the thing they really want to do because they don't feel credible or ready to do it. So what would you say to people who are like, well, I don't have the money. I don't have the credibility yet. I'm just getting started in this thing and I want to start talking about it or creating content or doing whatever, writing a book about it. But who's going to listen to me? What would you say to those people? I think you just got to do it. It got to a point for me where um, I guess the, my, the intuition of like, I want to be doing this. Why am I not? Mm. Started getting to a point where I just felt if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. Right. And then I thought to myself, what I look back in the future and regret not doing this. And then I thought, yes. And so I just, I secretly made a YouTube channel and filmed a video during an open house. And I like, just with my iPhone, one taked it. And uh, well, I did multiple takes trying to get ready for sure, it. Because sure. people would walk in the house, I'd like, put my camera. <laughs> um, but I just posted one video and I was like, I'm just gonna post it up, see what happens. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I, I learned like as I was doing it. Um, you know, I had the window right here, so I had like realized if I shoot against the window, like I look too like you know dark, and if I go here, lighting's better. Like 
minor things. And I looked on YouTube, like how to edit a YouTube video mm. on YouTube. Learned iMovie through there. Like how to edit a good thumbnail. Like I get to see what's working. And like Daryl Eves was a big one uh, for yeah. me. Like learning uh, the about like SEO and stuff like that. Like how to rank. Michael back then was just a rank on the first page for different key search results. So like I wanted to rank first page for passive income. How to be a millionaire. Mm. Real estate. Uh, my, my The first one I ranked was 2008. It's so niche. 2008 Lotus Exige S240. And there were like 20 videos on there with like 20,000 plus views. Mm. And I was like, I want to be on the first page. So I made my video Lotus Exige S240 review, you know, 2000, like something like that. And I slowly watched it just climb wow. and I shared it online and like that didn't help. But like over time it just kept doing better. Yeah. So I just, you just got to start. Do you feel like you have a scarcity mindset or an abundance mindset? I don't know. Um, probably a degree of both, mm. I would say. Um, I don't like I don't like loss. So I'm really like risk, risk adverse, adverse yeah. when it comes to stuff like 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 I'm okay losing a certain percentage because it's like, okay, if you have a hundred dollars, if you lose a penny, it's not that big of a deal. Mm. So it's like things like that in terms of a percentage don't phase me. Um but just in general, I'm really against loss. So like whatever I get, I'm very conservative with it because I want to make it last. So in terms of that, I would say a scarcity mindset. Um, there is some abundance though in terms of like bigger opportunities and, and pursuing, I would say, passions. I'm not afraid to do that right. anymore. But um, yeah, financially, I'm just very conservative. Yeah. What do you, what, what's the investment you've made that had the biggest loss? Financial investment. Like in, um, like in an asset class. Oh, an, a, oh like, an asset class. Like stocks or crypto or real estate. Did you ever lose a bunch of money that you're like, man, I put a hundred grand in? Are we talking dollar all. amount or percentage? Yeah, dollar amount. Yeah. Um, a very stupid one. I bought Robinhood stock. That was probably the worst loss. I individual took. stock. That was an individual stock I I, I picked. What did you put in it? Roughly. Two hundred grand. Two hundred grand. How much yeah. did you lose? Uh. 60 70% by the time I sold. So okay. 150 grand or something. You lost. Yeah, that was that was that was stupid. Um it still was in the ratios of like what is what was acceptable to me in terms of like a percentage. Mm -hmm. But it was stupid. I mean, it was just like that was a gamble. Was that an emotional I lost? It was when their stock dropped. Like they saw a substantial drop and I'm like People are still posting their screenshots on Wall Street bets. Robinhood has a lot of cash. They're not going anywhere. There's so many places to pivot. Um, take a risk on this. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I put a hundred grand in that. And then it dropped even more. I'm like, Ooh. I'm gonna double down on this because <laughs> Oh man. It was stupid. That was stupid. But again, like in the big picture, right, we're right, talking right. about course. uh, you know, if the portfolio size is let's say eight million bucks, like we're talking about like, you know. 200 grand total of that. So in a percentage, it's like mm -hmm. not that bad. But well, when you think the, of the dollar, I don't think of the dollar amount. Like I, I really you want separate. To throw up if you're like, ugh, it's the worst. Feeling, that was right? just that was a stupid one. Now I do have others that make up for it. Sure, on sure, the sure. Other side, I think N phase at one point was up like 400 and something percent. The the original wow. Tesla I bought was up 2,000 percent. So like I had winners on that. That's big. Um. And I sold almost all of my Tesla too back in March. At the high. Which was luck because I sold it to buy a Tesla Roadster. And then I just 
kept selling it mm. afterwards because I was like, well, now I sold this, I may as well just reinvest it in the S&P. And I'm like, I'm still getting an equal exposure yes. in the S&P to putting it there and it's safer. And that was just luck. But I also had the opposite <laughs> of that. I sold my original half. I, 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 my original half, I think I sold in 2020. Um, when it had increased mm, like threefold yeah. really quickly. Looking back, I mean, that's still way cheaper than it is today. Mm -hmm. Like, Crazy. But, oh well, you win some, you lose some. So that's why it's like individual stocks, such a tiny part of my portfolio. Wow. But like, looking back, it's a stupid stuff. I would have been better off just putting all of it. The index fund. But yeah. I mean, you get it out of your system. Yeah, of course. I'm curious, you've been talking about your prediction on your channel for what's going to happen this year. A lot of financial experts have been talking about, you know, the prediction of a potential crash, uh, crisis, all these different things in 2023. If you could, based on all the information you have, all the research you've done, you've done, you do so much research in every video, and you know a lot of these experts and what they're talking about. If you could have a, you know, magic ball and see what is going to happen in 2023 over the next six to 12 months, what do you think is likely to happen? Gosh, I have no clue. I mean, anything that I think is going to happen, just like the opposite yeah. does <laughs> always. So I've just accepted that the best thing that I could do is like look at historical data uh -huh. and just extrapolate based on that over the next 10 years. I think like 2020 has shown us like everyone is wrong. Yeah. Like no one could have predicted what would have happened. No one could have predicted you know, the Fed turning around as quickly as they did. It was like- Pumping in that much money. Yeah. yeah, like all of that was so sudden that like there aren't models that exist mm -hmm. to account for stuff like that. So I just think, yeah, you know, in terms of that, I have no clue. Yeah. What are the experts saying? Are they saying there's gonna be you could, inflation? What, what's be... funny is that whatever you wanna see, you could find yeah. experts saying exactly that. So when you look at S&P 500 estimates. There are people guessing for the S&P to end at 5,000 or to end at 28. Mm -hmm. And so like if you you could find reasons for and against anything, uh, I think the general consensus seems to be the S&P is probably going to be like 34 to 37 by the end of the year. That's like the average. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people take the approach, well, if the downside risk is that, but the upside is right now I can make 5% of my money in treasuries, like that seems like the better option. From my perspective, this is just what I think. I think if treasuries are paying four and a half to five percent risk-free, it makes it very enticing to put your money there over stocks. There has to be a a risk premium that's built in where people find more opportunity in stocks to take that risk to make it worth it. I think the mm -hmm. same thing also applies to real estate. If properties are generating five percent, but someone's making four and a half risk-free locked in for the next two years, mm -hmm. like that that's more enticing. Sure. So I think there's gotta be enough of a divergence between the two. Like stocks have, have to be so cheap to wanna to take the risk in that versus like, well, I get 6% guaranteed. Like if the S&P was trading at 1500 right now, mm -hmm. everyone would be like, oh, I'm gonna buy that. Screw treasuries. Um, so I'm interested to see how that'll play out. Yes. I think a lot of people are waiting for the Fed to pivot, uh, to pause or to maybe even reduce Yes. I don't think they're going to come out and say that that's their plan because as soon as they do, then the market goes up and everyone starts spending again. So I think the Fed has just like got to play their hand close. And like, I think a lot is, is they're looking to them. Uh -huh. Yeah. And a lot has happened the last couple of years with crypto, NFTs, and now AI mm -hmm. coming in. A lot of around AI. Uh, what's your thoughts on crypto, NFTs, AI? 
in terms of building wealth for the future. When it seems like there's been a lot of scams and all these different things and get rich quick schemes and people losing a lot of money, how can people use these tools or should they even consider them to build wealth in the future? I th- I never understood NFTs. That was yeah, the one thing that I I really tried to like get into it. I wanted to buy a CryptoPunk, but mm-hmm. I just didn't. I thought it was kind of neat to have like oh the, the kind of the original, but CryptoKitties was like the original one. I never really understood. I never got into NFTs. Uh, crypto, I've had an on and off relationship with because I bought Bitcoin originally, twenty seventeen. How much? Uh, seven, 16, five, hmm. 17. And I like day traded it <laughs> because for me, it's like everyone was talking about Bitcoin. And at the time it went from basically a thousand dollars from when I started making YouTube videos to 17. And so that whole rise, people are commenting, make a video about Bitcoin. I just didn't hmm. get it. I'm like, I don't yeah. understand it. Um, and I thought when I made that video, like I'm going to buy a Bitcoin and see if I understand firsthand what it's about and maybe like me buying into it i could uh just feel firsthand what everyone else is feeling yeah that helps like you sometimes when i'm talking about something it's it's hard to talk about something like objectively without having been in it and then once you're in it you could kind of see like like you put on the goggles and you see like wow this is what everyone else sees and experiences like this is why they feel this way uh so i bought a bitcoin but i was like i had so much fun trading it because it was like 24 7 it's like you could be there at like and i was just I having know, so much nuts. fun at like two o'clock in the morning like <laughs> check just, it and going yeah, up and but, but i was making like these little 20 30 dollar like profits uh-huh. like it went up and i just sell and then i place a limit and then like buy and then like do this and just, but i just like trade it and then from there i just spread it amongst a whole bunch of like you know crap coins yeah. just for fun um but I don't just really focus just on Bitcoin, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, where, where do you feel like AI is going to be coming now for building wealth? Do you think anything's there around? I think it's probably too early. Yeah. I worry AI is going to become like the next hypey mm-hmm. sort of thing, and I could see it going in that direction. I don't know how that'll come about, but I could totally see like a year or two from now, like AI becoming the next like. Crypto boom, NFT, Web 3.0, all these things, yeah. Something like that. I think, like, with crypto, I could see there being a huge future in that in terms of, like, the blockchain and, like, its use cases. I think, I'm surprised they haven't created a digital dollar yet. Like, I think that's coming. I think it's going to get to the point where everyone, like, you get a social security number, you get a wallet. I know. And they know exactly how much goes into that wallet, how much goes out, where it goes. Like, imagine every dollar has, like, a as a tracking device in it. That's and they could see like, wait a second, you received this dollar, you got paid from this person, but you paid it out to here. Why wasn't there a tax? Why didn't you claim this? Man. Like, I think it's all gonna get to that point in the future. There's gonna be no privacy. Now they can't get away with like, without physical money at all um, for probably quite some time. Uh, it's always gonna be legal tender. Like imagine trying to like mm-hmm. scrounge up dollars from it. Like you're not gonna well, There's some it. restaurants that don't take physical currency you know in la at yeah. least there's like it's getting that way where it's only through the app yeah and they just don't you know. i think it's just gonna they're gonna make it so convenient um and they're gonna build so many walls around using cash that people mm-hmm. are gonna go oh, i'm gonna pay attention to it so i think cryptocurrency is going to provide an option for them to do a digital dollar to track everything um and they'll know if like they'll, they'll try to curb anything and just track it wow. 
So I could see it going in that direction. So I think mm-hmm. it, it's a ton of opportunity. I also think um, someone else had mentioned this. It makes sense to me. Like, like verifying luxury goods. Like if you want to buy, let's say, a Ferrari, you have something on the blockchain that says like you are the owner. This is built by Ferrari. Here's all the details. Buy a Louis Vuitton bag and like the replicas are getting so good. You want to verify it's that. Here's a little, you know, uh, NFT thing that comes with it. You can uh-huh. scan it and like you are the owner. Like this it belongs to this. Right. So I could see that. That's interesting. So that's where I think it's going. Mm-hmm. But I think we're just, you know in that initial boom phase and it's going to develop and I think mm. the potential is huge. And that's why I don't know if like Bitcoin Ethereum is going to be something that stands out like an Amazon of the dot-com bubble or if it's going to be like a, a GeoCities where it's like nobody uses that. Right. So I don't think we know quite yet, but yeah. I do think there's a ton of potential in that. AI, I don't know. I'm not smart enough yeah. to understand it. I don't it. know anything about so, it yeah. I think it's really cool. <laughs> uh, what I was saying in my video yesterday, I think it's going to get to a point where AI is going to be able to create any video you want. Like, imagine you searching and getting a tutorial for anything you need, and it's created in AI. Like, Crazy. like here's like an example. Character. Like yeah. A... Like here's an example. But but it's going to be so lifelike that you're mm. not going to know this isn't a person making wow. a video. Like, imagine you're changing a car in a 2006 Toyota Prius. You type in YouTube how to change tire 2006 Toyota Prius. You're going to get like videos of people who have made that, but it's not going to be maybe not going to be a 2006, it's going to be a 2005 not going to be the same color there's going to be like an intro fluff all that sort of stuff but imagine if you type that in ai could create that video based on the blueprints of that car how to change a tire and it shows your exact car a 2006 toyota prius how to change the tire here's what you do here's mm. where the tool is here's this here's what you do and if you have a question how do i get the lug nut on when it's too tight and it creates a video how to get the lug nut off that's too tight like that's why can't it do that in right. the future? I think it can. Mm. What's I've got a couple of final questions for you. Yeah. What's your money goals? If you could uh, predict, it's 20, uh, 2030, seven years away. Seven years, yeah. Where will you? Where would you like to be in seven years with your money goals? With your investments, cash, assets. You know, obviously, there's so much that could happen in the next seven years. Yeah. So many new developments that probably will happen that you're not even aware of. But if you could. Have a goal in mind in seven years, where would you like to be financially? Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta, because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members, because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. Um, I mean, I feel like I'm already there. Um, but like, it would be cool to be able to make a million a year in passive income. I think it would be really cool just just from investments. I think it would be a neat wow. goal to have. Um, I think it's doable. What do you need just, to make a million dollars a year in passive? What is how does the calculations work for you? Probably about twenty-five million invested in relatively safe investments. Real estate uh, index funds. Yeah, I'm talking net. Yeah. So like net of all mortgage payments, just like purely profit a million a year. Um, so you think you need twenty-five million. million in assets? Maybe less if it's if it's real estate. Um, you could probably do that with like fifteen to wow. twenty, wow. depending on the property you buy and if it's triple net and how much work you're doing on that. 
Um, so I think it, it's it's doable. Depends mm. on the investment. It just depends on what's the opportunity at the time. But I like having a split between like index funds and real estate because I feel like you know, they're different enough where I'm not too concentrated. Sure, sure. That's cool. But that that would be just a goal if I'm to say anything. A million a year. Probably yeah, about, passive. passive income. It's pretty inspiring. You can have a lot of sushi with that. You could, yeah. <laughs> would you start spending more with that million in cash? Would you look at it as like, now I can spend on whatever or what would you think about then? I have no idea. I'd probably get a bigger aquarium. Bigger aquarium, yeah. Uh, realistically, though, I would say uh, traveling first class, which you can, mm-hmm. it's good to do with credit card points, yes. but like being able to do that more frequently. Like, I do want to travel. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a goal of mine to do one day. Uh, I really want to do van life at some point. Van life? And like, yeah. I really like want get to get a nice van and go around the country. Yeah, I think take the podcast on the road That'd and be fun. do van life, I think would be so fun. I've, I'd like visit all 50 states, I think would be really cool. Mm. Spend six months doing that. That's cool. Travel, I think would be a lot of fun. Bigger aquarium. Uh-huh. Um, but for the most part, like I'm, I think at this point, I just want to buy back my time and just be able to enjoy the things. Like the other day, it sounds stupid, but like it was a weekday and I just wanted to read a book. Like I never wanted to read a book. Mm. Like I don't. I'm not a reader necessarily for books. Like I'll read anything online. Like if it's on Reddit, I'll read the whole thing. But I just felt like reading a book. But I was like, well, but I got so much work I need to do, and like I'd ra- I'd feel better getting caught up and like ahead than I would reading the book. Mm-hmm. But I really wanted to read the book. Yeah. So I think I'll probably lean more in the direction of like taking more time. Like even doing a trip like this, like a year ago, I wouldn't have done it because really? I'm like I'm so focused on I just need to make videos and anything that distracts me from that. I don't think I was my happiest doing that because I like I just felt so stressed. Like, you know, there was um, just just random things that I was not fully like in the moment for because my mind was constantly thinking like YouTube videos. Or what what would be a good title for tomorrow's video? Mm. Like, there'd be like people around having conversations, and I'd be there, um, and I'd be present. But like, there's like that twenty percent of my brain that's thinking like YouTube in the back. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always there. I don't think it's going to go away, but I would like to scale back from that a little get bit. You Just out be here. more in the moment. We'll have to get you out here once every couple months then for a couple yeah, days. You I know? think so. That's good, man. Yeah. Um, Graham Stephan Show on, on YouTube. You've got some amazing content over there. I love it. Um, you've got the podcast as well, which is really exciting. How can we, uh, Ice Coffee Hour, it's called yeah, yeah. the podcast. Uh, you guys can see it both on YouTube. How can we be of best service for you? You got over four point something million subscribers now. What can we do to serve you? I don't want anything. I would just say uh, if you, if you want to subscribe, that would be cool. Um, subscribe to your channel. I, I don't know. I'd just say just I'd subscribe to your channel. Like at this point, I'm <laughs> I'm fine. I would rather just. You know, guys, subscribe here on, on this channel. Would be would be really nice. Subscribe to both of our channels. Yes. Yeah. Um, this is a, uh, one of the questions I ask everyone at the end is called the three truths question. Mm-hmm. So imagine another hypothetical scenario. It's your last day on earth. You live as long as you want to live. Uh, and you accomplish everything. All your money goals, life goals, they all happen. But for whatever reason, you've got to take all of your content with you. Mm-hmm. So no one has access to your information, your content, YouTube, whatever else you create. It goes to some other place when you die in the future. So it just gets deleted. It gets, well, somewhere. maybe it's just, we don't have access to it. It's somewhere else. Hypothetical. So it's private. Yeah, it's private. It's unlisted. <laughs> uh, but for whatever whatever reason, you have the opportunity to share three final truths with the world. Three things that you know to be true that you would share as lessons to the world. And that's all we would have of your content left. 
What would be, again, off the top of your head, those three truths for you? I don't know. I don't know if there's like any absolute truths out there. Or like, just lessons like, that you would want to share. Three. Um, I would say, gosh, like probably self-belief, like believing you can mm -hmm. do something is very important. I think um, people are drawn to confidence. And so if you could learn how to be your best self and uh, accept that, I think that would go a long way. And I think um, the less concerned you are with what other people think, usually the, the, the better they think about you because you're not afraid to be yourself. I think everyone is, is scared to be themselves. Mm -hmm. And so when they see someone else just like, you know, not caring, other people look up to that in a way that so many people can't do. So I would say like those things universally for me have been true. That's cool, man. Um, final question for you before I ask it. I want to acknowledge you, Graham, for your commitment and dedication. It's been incredible what you've created over the last you know five years on YouTube. Every week you show up and give something inspiring, informational, and entertaining. And I know it takes you days of research mm. and days of work, and you're doing a lot of it on your own. And you've helped a lot of people educate them, learn, and learn about a scary subject for a lot of people, which is money, in a fun way. So I really acknowledge you for how you keep showing up. Thanks. And I know it's a lot of work, and I know it's, uh, you know, you're probably gonna have to figure out how to make it happen in the future mm -hmm. at scale, but what you've created in the last four or five years has been really inspiring. Thank so you. I acknowledge Thanks. you for your efforts, your intelligence, and your creativity. It's really cool. Thanks. Final question, what's your definition of greatness? Oh man, I would just say honestly to help others. I mm -hmm. think if you make an impact on someone else's life and it's a positive impact and you could, they they have a good feeling towards that, I think there's, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. Like anytime I meet somebody who's like, you know, I bought my first house because of you and my credit score is great and I turn my finances around now I have like 10K in the bank mm. and I was broke. Like just the impact, because I know like how that would feel for me. Like yeah. for me, like, Meeting Rob Dom for me would be one of those moments where I'm like, dude, you have no idea how much you've helped me. Just like your video on how to buy a Lamborghini was like, set me off. Like, and I'll remember that for the rest of my life. And so just like having that for other people, I think is, is so insane. Like it's, it's hard to put into words, but it's, it's just so neat. And then you feel like you've got a friend. Yeah. And so everyone I meet who's like, if they watch my videos, I know they're like into personal finance, investing, building wealth. Uh, chances are they're, they're an entrepreneur. And so, like, we're instant friends because of that. Like, no matter what their background is, um, it's just, it's neat. And I've never mm. had that before. I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown of today's show with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me, as well as ad-free listening experience, make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel on Apple Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend over on social media or text a friend. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcast and let me know what you learned over on our social media channels at Lewis House. I really love hearing the feedback from you and it helps us continue to make the show better. And if you want more inspiration from our world-class guests and content to learn how to improve the quality of your life, then make sure to sign up for the Greatness Newsletter and get it delivered right to your inbox over at greatness.com newsletter. And if no one has told you today, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great.
Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta. Because we know on one flight, Mike N8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply.